So what's going on, guys? Today, we are starting our podcast in the afternoon instead of the normal 11 o'clock a.m., which is great because we're going to be talking commercial real estate with uh, Stephanie Boldrini. So today at the John Papaloni Show, it is episode number 60. I am excited because I think I'm going to learn something as well because, as you know, I'm a residential real estate uh, agent. So I'm going to bring you in. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, John. Absolute pleasure. So, okay, I'm just trying to see if we're live here. Seems mm. like you are. <laughs> oh, it says oh, okay. Strange. I will, whatever. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, we're going to, um, I want to start off maybe uh, by having you uh, bring, you know, give us a little bit of an introduction of uh, who you are, where you, you know, where you're from, how you started and stuff like that. Like a bit of a biography. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Brazil and uh, moved to the to um, San Francisco Bay Area 20 years ago and um, started my career in tech sales, uh, as uh, usual here where I live. And um, then learned about real estate as I was learning about angel investing as well. And to me, real estate made a whole lot more sense than angel investing and decided to take a career, make a career change about three years ago and get into commercial real estate investing. Okay. Well, let me ask you, how come commercial, like most people, when they get into real estate, they think um, houses and residential, renting out apartments, renting out a basement, renting out a house. I mean, you sort of kind of just bypassed that and went right into commercial. Yep. Great question. Well, I was blessed enough to have a mentor uh, who was in the retail space and he taught me everything that I know. Uh, and it was just a matter of uh, luck knowing someone that um, knows about, has a, you know over 20 years experience in investing in retail. Right. Right. I get that. So now, Going in terms of this pandemic that started, how does that affect your investments or how has it? Well, thankfully it has not. I have, um, I have some car washes and a self-storage facility um, and most recently a, a short-term rental. And um, the car washes actually went up uh, in sales because people were a little bored at home and decided to wash their cars more often so and then self-storage we all know that you know a lot of people needed self-storage especially near universities uh, mine is not near a university but um we're almost at full capacity right now wow i'm gonna be honest like obviously like i do residential so it's not something i would have thought of self-storage like how did, how did you come up with that? Like, like, like it's not typical because typically when you think commercial, you think office buildings, you think, uh, you know, retail stores, coffee shops, restaurants, you don't typically think self storage, right? So obviously it's lucrative because they're popping up everywhere now. And I really believe like even our future is going to be less about retail stores where people like a typical, um, like a Walmart as an example. I mean, it's, maybe it's a bad example, but it's an example where you go in there, you pick up your stuff and whatever. I think it's going to be more like the Amazon model where you order it and you just go pick it up and it's just warehoused somewhere. Now, yeah. I think that's our future, right? But um, like, you know, getting into self-storage now 
that's kind of like interesting. So how did that come about? Yeah, as I continued my education, I was listening to podcasts and um, someone was investing in self-storage and I thought it was fascinating and it made sense. And I started learning more and more about that asset class and started looking for self-storage facilities that made sense uh, nowadays, which, you know, they're hard to find, but they are definitely out there. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, like obviously somebody had to build them and like do, you, like, do you ever buy any of them, like buy land and build it or do you buy them already built? I purchased uh, already built with um, ability to expand. So there is extra land uh, near right behind the property that I'm looking into developing right now. And uh, the car wash has also had some additional land that I'm looking at developing uh, as well into potentially self-storage. Makes sense. Now, what is your biggest hurdle when you find, like when you're out there searching, uh, you know, and you just say you find some potential spots, what's the biggest hurdle you find throughout the process? Biggest hurdle in terms of getting the property or well, anything, I mean, sense? getting it, uh, finding it, you know, acquiring it, like, yeah, like what's, what's the biggest, like nothing is easy. Nothing. I mean, everybody would do something, <laughs> right? So <laughs> exactly. Um, the biggest hurdle has been finding good employees to be quite frank. Uh, in certain areas of the country, uh, I feel like people don't really, you know, are not that driven. Um, and so that has been the, the hardest part. But, you know, once you get into a market and you find the right people, the right team, it's a big relief because you can definitely expand in that market. But it does take time if you're getting into a new market to find the right people that will support you, the right vendors who are reliable and will be there and will do a good job for you. Um, and as we all know, team is, you know, number one priority, the most important thing that you can have to expand your business properly. Right. Now, now you're purchasing the self-storage. So obviously, I'm guessing based on, your, uh, on what you just said there, you must be operating them as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I figure self-storage, it's not, again, I think retail, I think you rent it out and whoever rents it worries about it. But obviously, I missed a part there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. I mean, it's almost like you're buying a business, but you yep. own the land that you're buying the business in. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. It's, you got it. Yeah, well, that, that, that's very innovative, right? Like, it's not something that you typically think of. And, and I suppose, I'm guessing the economy doesn't affect you as much as uh, a typical business because you either need the storage or you don't. And people have acquired so much out there. Like even, I, I would imagine even stuff like um, like cars as an example. Like people have summer cars, winter cars and stuff. I, yeah. I would imagine that some people store car, stuff like cars in the in the storage as well. Cars, boats, RVs, uh, and those facilities are, you know, not as common as you might think. So if you have a RV capacity, uh, most of them are fully booked uh, and, you know, they can increase their prices and people will still <laughs> stay because there are no other options for RV and, and things like that. True. Now, have you ever had a, uh, you know, have you ever gone to acquire um, you know, a deal and then the deal falls apart at the last minute or you have uh, major oh, yeah. issues that come up? Absolutely. Um, How do you deal with it? 
You like, just say, don't get in love with any deal because, um, you know, something else will always come up and it always does. And, you know, it is what it is. If the numbers are not true or they cannot verify it, you just have to move on and, and find something else and keep, keep on searching until you have the, the right property. But I tell people all the time, don't get too eager to buy anything that comes in front of you. Uh, if something is not right with the property, you, you will find something else sooner or later. Just keep looking and uh, it'll come your way. Right. So due diligence obviously is very, very important here. And, and I agree with you there. And that's, that's actually, I think, a very distinct difference between residential and commercial. I find with residential people have trouble separating the emotions. They get their heart set <laughs> on it. And it's like sometimes that could be a recipe for, for a disaster. <laughs> it happens in commercial too. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. I mean, I, I'm just, I mean, I'm new to it, right? Like, I, like part of getting my license, we're required to learn a certain amount of basics. Yeah. Then you decide if you want to pursue, pursue more, get into it more. And I just chose never to. Cause it doesn't make any logical sense to me. Like I understand cap rates. I understand how, what it's, you know, what it does and what it's about, mm -hmm. but it's, I still can't grasp the logic of it. So I, this stuff fascinates me. Like, especially when you're talking to someone who knows what they're talking about. So I find it fascinating because I'm getting an education at the same time. So, <laughs> right. Which is great. I mean, like I said, I legally can do commercial, but I'm probably the worst choice you can pick. Oh, I highly <laughs> doubt that. <laughs> I highly doubt that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Now that's the other thing, right? Like, so I'm saying, I, I take obviously investing is your full time now. Uh, you know, base you basically gave up corporate America. Yep, was it that, is. Wasn't an easy choice, or was it like sort of like I'm done with this, or just the opportunity presents itself and you decided to jump? The choice was fairly easy because I like doing my own thing and I like the freedom that we get. Um, but you know, sometimes we, I personally do think, Hmm, <laughs> did I make the right choice? Right. How much stock options am I missing out? Especially with, you know, the market going insane right now. Uh, I honestly sometimes do think that, did I make the right decision? Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the beginning of anything is a little bit more challenging until you scale and grow and get to that exponential level. And you just have to pound through it and go through the hard <laughs> first couple of years. And, you know, eventually things start to make sense. You build your network and, you know, more and more opportunities arise and things do start to eventually <laughs> move in the right direction. Yeah, of course. Now I'm guessing that, uh, like, where I'm going with this is when you gave up corporate America, I'm going to assume that getting financing for your purchases became a little bit more uh, difficult. <laughs> yes. So how did that work out for you? Like explain the process to us. Yes. Uh, great, great question. I have, for my first portfolio, I um, applied with a few different places and I was purchasing car washes, which I had zero experience with. And I probably would not have lent to myself uh, if I was a bank. And um, I eventually found a local lender and um, they initially wanted to lock the entire amount of the purchase uh, of my own cash for the entirety of the loan. 
And I said, this does not make any sense. So I just uh, asked for a call. It was literally a five minute conversation uh, with a, it was a small bank with the president of the bank. And I explained, you know, my track record on everything that I had done. Um, you know, and then we agreed to lock a little bit of that money for a couple of years until we prove that, you know, we're great operators and um, it has been a great relationship up until now. Uh, but you are 100% correct. The beginning, <laughs> everybody said no at first. Um, there were some caveats there, uh, but I think you cannot, you can solve a lot of things by having a, a conversation. Right. That, that's true. Right. I mean, it's about trust at a certain point. It's no longer about numbers because the numbers pretty much don't change. <laughs> right. So it becomes about track record, proving yourself yeah, and, and opportunity. I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but when it comes to uh, even commercial real estate, it's not like a typical mortgage on a um, on residential where, you're, you know, they're taking your basic income and taking a percentage, like I think it's like 36 to 42% of what you make and, and applies to the mortgage and you have to have a certain percentage down, right? And it's based on you. If I'm not mistaken, when it's commercial, it's based on the assets, not on the individual. Exactly. The assets and your experience uh, within that asset class. Yeah. So that, that makes sense too. Now, when you like, how many investments do you have currently? Uh, about five. About five. Are they all just you or did you get involved in some joint ventures? Right now they're mine. And the goal was to just prove some numbers in the beginning and then do some syndications after that. So we're, um, I'm at that stage that <laughs> you need to start growing through syndications. So that's definitely the next step. So it's definitely like, absolutely. So what do you look for? Like when you're looking, like when you're looking to, you know, get into this joint venture with someone, what, what, what is the typical thing you're looking at now? Um, I would, well, first I would love to partner up potentially with operator so that I can focus on raising the funds. Um, so that is an option that I'm looking at right now. And secondly, uh, from an investor's perspective, you want someone who understands that real estate is a very good form of investment with very little risk, uh, at least compared to a few other things out there. Um, and you want someone who, who obviously understands there, that there is a little bit of risk. And so, you know, things can go wrong sometimes, but um, yeah, I think mostly someone who is experienced that they have a cushion for themselves, that they're not putting everything into the deal and, uh, and understands a little bit of real estate. Okay. That makes sense. Now, when you invest, are you looking at this, like, like, do you ever look at something to like buy and flip or are you looking for something to buy and hold? Do you have a certain time period you hold it for? Like what's the overall objective? I love holding. I don't know why people sell. <laughs> uh, you can, you know, uh, any asset class residential too, you can add value. You can, and you know, for residential, once the income of the property goes up, you can, I'm sorry, the value of the property goes up. You can take some money out to invest in other properties. Um, so, you know, it depends on which level you are within your investments. I know some people that are super, super successful and have been doing this for, you know, 30 years. They will look at their entire portfolio and they will sell the 
10% or 20% lease performing properties. So that would be, you know, a time that I would probably sell, but I'm a firm believer of long-term real estate. Yeah, so am I actually. I, I really believe in that as well. Like the buy and hold and, you know what I mean? Like is let's face it, nothing is straight up and, and it's wavy, but the lot, but it, but it's like you said, it's one of the safest investments out there and you cannot lose unless you sell. So yeah. even when the market is down, if you hold on, eventually it comes back. And when it comes back, yep. you win. Absolutely. Just make sure you have a couple of years, you know, of, of loan payments, uh, just in case something happens. And, and as long as you can hold on to that, when, you know, the, the economy takes a turn, you will be fine. As we all know, real estate has never overall never gone down. Yeah, over, exactly. 40 year history, like 40 year history in Canada is uh, average about six and a half percent. And we all know it's not six and a half percent per year. Exactly. One year you're getting 13%. Another year you're getting 16%. One year you're getting 8%. One year it goes down 5%. Yeah. Uh, but then you take the average. Yeah. You know, it's six and a half percent. It's the only thing that's been consistent over history. A hundred percent. And things are pretty pricey over there from what I hear. Oh, I think it's, it's been worldwide <laughs> during COVID. But yeah, like it's kind of crazy. It is. So. I think what's happened now is like this pandemic has uh, closed down a lot of places. So people who are used to going out and spending are now at home and they're realizing how big or how small their home really is, mm -hmm. but they're not going out because there's nowhere to go because everything yeah. was closed. I mean, things have kind of opened up now, but we went through what, 18 months of pretty much hardly being open and mostly being closed. And with that, the money's not being spent. Habits have changed. Yeah. So the old excuse of I can't save the down payment became the, oh, I got money in my bank account. What should yeah. I do with it? <laughs> and yeah. that, I think that had fueled that, that some of the, you know, that's some of the reasons out there that it fueled the growth. Yeah. Because now people, parents are getting tired of their kids in the basement because like I said, they're stuck at home too. They're like, oh, well, you're kind of still here. Yeah. Um, what do you got? Oh, I got 40 grand. Here's another 40. Go find a place. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure that's happening <laughs> right yeah exactly so but now like i said commercial is a little bit different and i think there's bigger growth opportunity in commercial so what would the average like what would the average percentage be in commercial like in the stuff that you invest like what, what, what what's your best investment and what's your wor worst investment uh, my best cash on cash right now is at the very, very least 36%, probably more, uh, cash on cash, um, return the worst. I haven't looked at that one, but I would say probably 15% return every year cash on cash. Right. So, yeah. So you're always a uh, plus, which is oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Right. So now when you say 30%, like, why don't you give us an example of a breakdown on how that works? Like you bought a place. I don't know what they go for. I'm going to use fictitious numbers. You can give me numbers. You'll know better, but I'll mm -hmm. give you a fictitious number as an example. Pretend you're bought and so bought something for like $800,000 yeah. and you put down a hundred thousand dollars down. I mean, I yeah. know it's fictitious numbers yeah. uh, now overall year to year. How does that work? You have the hundred thousand invested. How explain how the growth and, and the cash trajectory, how that, transpires yep. 
So cash on cash is everything that you put down to purchase that property. And that includes, you know, the, 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 all of the appraisals and, and everything else that you have uh, paid for that property. So let's say all of that is $100,000. You want to see your net operating income minus the mortgage, minus the mortgage. So net, 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 complete net. Uh, so that divided by your initial investment. So this is, let's say you're making $30,000 net per year. You're at 33% cash on cash. Right. I get it. I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So after all expenses is what's left over is the percentage. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different than uh, uh, residential, but it is a little bit more lucrative. How how is it different than residential? Because there would be a sense of appreciation in the math overall as well, not just the cash. Yeah, appreciation when you sell, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, that would be the IRR as far as I, I know. Yeah, I, I mean, it might be a little bit different from here and there, but like, yeah, it's, it's the same concept. Right. So, yeah, that makes sense. I, I get it. I, and that's the thing, right? The whole point of investment is not just having the piece of property or the investment, but it's even the return, mm-hmm. right? The payment of what getting paid tomorrow doesn't pay your bills today. Yeah. So cash flow is extremely important and it goes back to this pandemic has hurt a lot of people, but a lot of people have benefited from them. And I think the difference is cash flow the ones that have a positive cash flow is bringing in more growth with the ones who are operating in negative cash flow regardless of whatever the investment is have struggled more that is very true and i know that you know some residential like single family homes people buy where i live they're on the negative uh, but the appreciation is very significant. So if you're okay with being in the negative, a thousand to a thousand dollars per month, but for the property to appreciate four hundred, five hundred thousand, a million dollars, you know, uh, three five years later, um, then that's that, that to me that's a win <laughs> as well. Even though you're in the negative cash flow for that time. Right. Absolutely. So, well, that's the thing, right? So now. For other people who are in, you know, corporate America, and let's face it, the majority of people are miserable doing what they're doing. Not everybody, <laughs> but the majority, right? There's a good yep. chunk of them, but they want to do something with, you know, they want to do something. They want to get into some form of investing or work towards getting out of corporate America, whether it's now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and they have no plans now, and they don't know what they're doing. What do you suggest? What do you, where would you start if they, if they like, if they're interested in uh, investing here? I would say, yeah. Um, If they want to get started right away, invest in a syndication, invest in someone else's deal. And you can find properties on, I believe, crowdstreet.com and things like that. And at the same time, learn as much as you possibly can. Books, podcasts, videos, whatever, however you learn easiest and meet people in the industry for sure, having connections, going to conferences, uh, learn as much as you can and buy that first property with a guidance uh, of somebody that has experience. Make sure that you pass that by somebody that has done that kind of kind of investment before 
it is going to be super scary. And, you know, even the highly successful people still get nervous when they sign <laughs> that purchase contract or, uh, you know, they're, they're actually finalizing the purchase. Um, and so it's going to be a little nerve wracking, especially in the beginning. But uh, as long as you have the right education, the right people next to you, you'll be fine. It's, uh, it's not that hard. How much would a person typically need to get started? Right. I know it also depends on what you're buying, but like, mm -hmm. like, for example, I have $20,000 in the bank. Mm -hmm. Would I be able to buy something or do I still need to hold off? You can find a single family home and invest there and do a short term rental. You can actually buy with zero money down. I met a 21 year old who has 30 units <laughs> that he purchased with zero of his own money. Right. Well, in Canada, it's actually restricted. They don't allow the zero down. Uh, I'm saying, so he got seller financing. So the seller gave him the 80% loan. And then he found somebody else to give him the 20% the at a 12% rate. Uh, okay. So it's completely thing. private. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Okay. I get that. I get that. So yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Yeah. He has possible. 30 units <laughs> by doing wow. this. Yeah. At 21 years of age. Yeah. That's actually kind of impressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you something. Is it... Do you believe that, like, for for example, I mean, we had just said commercial can be more lucrative, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm imagining you're going to need more money to get into commercial than residential. Yeah. Now, that being said, would you suggest somebody waits till they have the money for commercial? Or would you tell them to invest in residential, earn more from that, then sell the residential or take the equity out of it to invest into commercial? If you're really dying to get into commercial, you can always partner up with somebody. You don't have to do it all by yourself. Um, right now, there is a lot of money out there. If you find a good property, you will find somebody that will go in with you, even though you might not have any of the money. You can be the one who finds the property. You, it can be the operator, right? That's how you add value on that side of the, of the deal. And then you can partner up with somebody else. It can be a family member, a friend, or co-workers. Um, I've seen so many ways of partnerships. Uh, especially in the beginning, it should be people that you're close with that understand that you are fully capable and you're driven and you know you, you have learned the things that you have to learn and the, the property will very likely succeed. Makes sense. Now, what are some of the mistakes to avoid? Like, what have you come across that you kind of wish you knew when you got started, but kind of learned along the way? Yeah, great question. Again, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think one of the most recent lessons was to get approval um, from at least two different banks. Um, one of my lenders, he literally said two days before closing on my, my last investment, oh, you know what? We don't really <laughs> think this is going to work. And <laughs> oh, wow. when they had definitely verbally and via email said this would work. And so that was a scary day. However, I still, you know, got the loan with them, had a conversation with them, understood what their concerns were and explained why they should not be concerned, right? So you address 
their concerns, which were all valid, um, but I should have <laughs> had two approvals for sure. And that will be definitely something I will be doing moving forward. Well, here's the other question, right? Like, do you go straight to the bank or do you go to a broker? Like, because the other argument could be is if you go to a broker, they are, tend to be a little bit more prepared that way. And it's only one credit hit. Oh, to a broker. Um, if you have a good broker, sure. But, you know, I found out, I found that local banks where the property is, they understand the area better. They give you better rates and they're easier to work with. So I have had a great deal of success with local banks where the prop to where the property is. Very interesting. I mean, I've had yeah. the opposite experience, but that, <laughs> that, that is really interesting. But you got a point there because it's local. Now here for myself, I've only dealt with local. So maybe that might be the reason I got a broker who deals with the general area that I deal in. Mm -hmm. And I've never had to go right. outside there. So that may be the reason. Yeah, very likely. And residential is a little bit different too. Yes, that is very true too. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's even a lot of banks out there that won't value, won't loan for commercial. Yeah, yeah. Right, and then there's ones that are you know super excited that'll loan more for commercial than in, than residential. So yeah, it's really about doing your research and knowing what you're looking at. Yeah, and asking for recommendations. Hence, you know, it's so important to get to know people in your area and build your network and make relationships and. Uh, they can be so helpful. Absolutely. Which brings up the next point. Now you buy your first investment property and I'm sure you're going to need tradesmen and service people from time to time. How do you find and select a tradesman? Cause not all of them are the same. You are full of great questions, John. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I am a lover of searching things online and going by ratings. Um, so I find the top rated people. It doesn't always work out 100% of the time, but it works out a, a lot. And so people that are rated, they understand that they will be rated. Um, uh, so they will provide a good job because they had, let's say, five stars until now. And that's how I have been able to find great um a great help, uh, whether it be a plumber or electrician, and also through recommendations, uh, asking people who is the best XYZ in the area. Uh, but I, I'd say that I have had more success through online search than, than with recommendations. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was not expecting that. Like, I, I'm ex I mean, I'm not expecting bad from online. That's not what I mean. But yeah. I was expecting like, you know, like when you get a one-to-one -one referral, for me, that to me, that's like tried and true. Yeah. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it is. Sometimes it's just buddy-buddy and what you think you're getting may not be the same. But I've rarely seen the uh, that, that, that side effect of that. Like I, I'm used to, you know, somebody recommends you, you kind of know what you're getting. But wow, <laughs> I, I, I could just be fortunate on my side too. That That's pretty good. That's pretty interesting. Like I, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, now, I'm not, I'll be honest. I'm a skeptical guy with online stuff. <laughs> but I mean, I'll be I honest. Not all online. I'm not saying online's bad. The internet's going away. No, I don't mean that. I, I mean like, like I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll give you an example. Like when Google reviews came out, yeah. I've had so many people saying, "Can you help me out and give me a five star review?" And I'm yeah. sitting there going, "You're asking me to give you a five star review. I've never even used your services." <laughs> 
You know what I mean? But they didn't care. They just wanted a number of reviews. So yeah. that made me kind of skeptical. Now, when I see it online, I start going, yeah, okay. Right. How many of these are real? How many of them are fake? Yeah. Right. And and I, you like, want to it, read through them too, right? To uh, see if, you know, the wording sometimes, oh yeah, great service, right? That's probably some, a friend. But if they it, write in detail what happened, that helps more. You get a point there because you can't exactly make up a uh, a fictitious uh, scenario, at least not very yeah. often. <laughs> right. So that's a good point. And, I never even thought of that. Yeah. And another way uh, is going through these websites that they can only get a rating if they did the work. Right. So when I purchase a service, let's say on Thumbtack or TaskRabbit, I'm the only person that can rate that uh, service. And so I've had success on Thumbtack, finding people um, on Upwork, and I just look for five-star rated uh, vendors. That makes sense, too. So I guess, yeah, in Canada, we have something called uh, Homestars, which is kind of the same concept. Yeah. Right? So, uh, yeah, I I never thought of that either, right? And I guess sometimes even, because you know what? I believe it's impossible for everybody to get five stars 100% of the time unless they have very few reviews. Now, so the other thing is also, it's not just looking at how many stars they have, but how do they respond to the bad reviews? Like the ones that delete them or if they can delete them or try to ignore them, you know what I mean? Or try to, you know, get so many people to put so many reviews. So they all go to the bottom, you know, all the typical marketing bull crap. Yeah. You know, those ones that are pretty much, yeah, Yeah. they're just trying to pretty much hide the the trouble. So those are the ones I think that I'm wary of. Yeah. But no, the ones that respond and they respond in a timely manner, that means whatever happened wasn't intentional, and they're actually upset that it happened that when it, that it went bad. Yeah. So and they want to correct. Apologetic. It. Yeah, and they corrected exactly. So yeah, I believe I believe that that's another way to look at it too. See what how they respond to a negative one. Yep, one hundred percent agree. So which is awesome, and I was going to ask something too, but my mind went uh, wandering to this uh, reviews. <laughs> It'll come back. <laughs> yeah, really, eh? Because sometimes I get into it. I'm like really focused <laughs> in there, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now I got a question. What in the future? What is your your like your future planning? Obviously, you want to scale, and you're going to get into some joint ventures, and you want a partner that's going to be an operator, right? That's part of your plan. Like, but what's your overall? Like, let's say ten years from now, where do you where do you see your portfolio? I see a portfolio of uh, larger properties that are incredibly well managed and um, uh, where we add as much technology as possible to make it seamless to the tenants and make it seamless to the management, the operator. So um, that is the goal to implement tech as, as much as possible. Uh, you know, from finding properties all the way to selling them. And there are a lot of tools nowadays that help with that. True. Well, that's the other thing now in terms of finding properties, how do you find properties? Like, are you always looking on your own? Do you get help from, do you have like an agent you work with? Do you have a specific site that you go to? uh, Have you just become known where people are reaching out to you too? The most popular website is Crexi, C-R-E-X-I.com for commercial. 
Um, I look, I have some alerts on Crexy. Yeah, it's not the best, you know, place to find properties, but you know, when you're getting started, it is a very good way of finding properties. You, as long as you're doing the proper analysis, and um, definitely working with some brokers, but you know, a lot of them are not very reliable. <laughs> so. You have to take on a lot of a lot of the work, especially in the beginning, and really go for it. Right now, how did you learn all that? Like, how do you like? It's easy to look at something, see a price, and just say, "Okay, sounds reasonable." But how did you learn to dissect the information? With my mentor. Right. Yeah. So that, that 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 brings up a point. So obviously, if somebody's going to take this very very seriously. Mm -hmm. They should probably get a mentor to teach them. Yep. And sometimes that comes in a paid format and that's totally fine because you got to do what you got to do. And if you don't have a mentor in your network, you have to pay for it just like anything else. So I recommend a reliable source, a reliable person that has good uh, track record. If you're going to pay a consultant or, you know, if you're going to join a group. I agree with you. Like one of the big questions I have always when, if I'm uh, looking at someone for help, is, like we'll take it. Well, let, let's be frank. If I were looking for help finding commercial property and I was looking for a mentor, first question I would ask is how many do you own yourself? Mm -hmm. Right. Because if someone's giving you advice yeah. on something they don't even own. <laughs> and how are they doing? Right. Yeah. How are your properties doing? Well, exactly. So how we, uh, you know, how you got to find credibility somehow. And I believe a lot of times if somebody believes in what they're preaching, they have themselves, yeah, right? Exactly. You, you know, like most people start for themselves and as they learn, they build out and teach others. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you get the, the one, your gut. exactly, exactly. You find that you get the ones that think it's cool yeah. who get into a market and you say, well, what did you do? Oh, I'll get there one day. <laughs> mm, okay. So you thought this was cool. Okay. Not looking for cool, looking for experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a few YouTubers out there that, you know, don't have a ton of experience, but they're telling people what to do. So, <laughs> so true. So true. So when you're like in future, do you plan to continue with self-storage or car washes? Or are you going to expand into other avenues as well? I'm a believer of diversification. Um, car washes have been a huge amount of work and uh, I don't know yet if I would do it again, although the numbers are great. Um, definitely self-storage if, if the market is you know, where it should be at that time. But we all have to adjust, right? With, with time, things change. And uh, even retail right now, uh, uh, these huge shopping centers are transforming a lot. They're renting part of you know, the old Macy's or uh, whatever it is, Kohl's to um, uh, Amazon warehouses. So you have to evolve. Things are changing faster than ever and it will continue. So who knows? <laughs> True. That that's true. Well, that's what I'm, what I'm saying. I think futuristic investing into warehousing is a great opportunity, and I don't oh, think yeah. that's going to go anywhere. I, you know, like so. I think that's that's definitely an opportunity. Yeah, that. Um, so industrial uh, is very popular right now, and medical office is also very popular and and safe form of investment. 
Right. Now, what do you think of office buildings? And I don't necessarily mean where you rent out an office to uh, Sprint or something. I'm talking about like shared offices, as an example, where you take a, you you buy a building, you divide them into different offices, like and just share it. You know, because a lot of people work from home, but they want an office for meetings or whatever, so they get these shared spaces. What do you think of that business? If you're talking about uh, things like WeWork, um, I think Sam Zell is a huge investor in, I think he's the one that said that this form of um, this way of doing business has never worked because it's short term. So you really don't have a long term lease. These people can leave at any time. Um, but if you're talking about, you know, a, a, um, a therapist actually leasing one unit, for, I don't know, five years, let's say three or five years, then I'm a full believer in that. Right. But it has okay. to be, yes. <laughs> that makes sense. No, originally I was talking about, I forgot you guys had WeWork. We have a company, we have various companies here. One of them is like Regis Office Spaces. They run, oh, yeah. They, yeah. yeah. I, I just forgot about, I, I just wasn't sure where the differences in the, and I forgot all about WeWork, to be honest. Everybody <laughs> did. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's a hint of where the business is or isn't. <laughs> yeah, they're in big trouble as far as I know. <laughs> wow. Okay. I didn't even think of that. Wow. Okay. But yeah, you know what? Like, okay, I, like yeah, do you even think office space is going to be around? Like overall? <laughs> like, 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 honestly, like with uh, like major companies like Google, as an example, allowing a lot of their employees to work from home. Yeah. Same uh, as now, who was that other company? I forgot it, but there was a lot of major companies mm -hmm. that, you know, said Twitter. you can come back to the office or you can work from home, your choice. Some of yeah. them are doing hybrid models where, you know, work a couple of days from the office, a few from home. And a lot of that is allowing them to reduce office space overall. I think everybody's just, yeah. you know, making this a pilot project to see if it's going to work. But I think if it is something that works, I, I really believe they're going to, a lot of companies are going to cut down their uh, office space. Yeah. If you had asked me six months ago, I'd say offices 100% guaranteed will be back for sure. And now because of the Delta variant, people are not coming back in September and August. They're not back right now. Uh, and so they're saying January next year. So I just think people are getting used to working from home more. The more time passes, the more these companies are going to have systems in place to have employees work really well from home. Hybrid, I think, will be there. I don't know if long term it will be there because people are really getting used to this lifestyle and they are buying homes further and further. And I think 70% of employees are demanding a hybrid um, uh, work style from their employee employers. So it's people are getting used to it. Yeah. And I've heard of people, you know, where they were told that they have to come back. I've heard of people just quitting saying, Nope, I'll find something else. <laughs> yeah. Right? I heard 60% of people are looking for a new job now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, great. so yeah, so you, there's definitely going to be a change to a degree we're going to see. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. always thought you couldn't build an enormous company like Google or Facebook without having people in the office and creativities. But I think the longer we go, the longer people will get used to it and they'll find ways of making it work. True. Now, I don't personally, I don't think the office is gone permanently. Yeah. 
but I can see it very reduced compared to what it used to be. Yeah. So obviously I don't think that that's going to be a great investment into office buildings. <laughs> I think people are already converting them into, you know, storage and, and a few other things. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised even if some of them get converted to condos because there is yeah. a residential shortage. Exactly. Residential. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Now, that's the other question I was going to get, because, I mean, obviously, commercial is your specialty. Do you ever invest in residential or do you plan to or is just residential just something that doesn't interest you? It never interested me and I ended up purchasing a short term rental. <laughs> I don't know what got into me, but uh, the numbers made sense and they were really good numbers. So <laughs> we never know. <laughs> Makes sense because, yeah, because there's also like what I love as an example is multiplexes, yeah, right? So, like apartment buildings, like or like 12 floors and up, yeah, right? So, I, I think that's a good opportunity too. If you can find a, a good property, absolutely, right? But you need to be able to add value by either decreasing rent, uh, sorry, increasing rent, decreasing costs building more, upgrading the units, and then increasing rent. Uh, one of these things have to be available, I think, for people like us, for it to make sense. And then you right. can sell to REITs who just want to manage a, a new property or a remodeled property, a stabilized property. Makes sense. Now, is do you have 100% of your investments in real estate, or have you diversified out of real estate as well? Yeah, I have some stocks and I have invested in a couple of startups. Um, so, yes, I have a, and most recently Bitcoin for, for better or worse, some crypto. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm a bad example because I, Bitcoin scares me. It scared me too up until recently. Yeah, it's one of those things that I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. Nope. Right. I mean, uh, I want a loan. No, I'm not going to get a loan. No problem. I'll turn on my computer and call it Bitcoin and it'll be coined for the computer. Yeah, let's buy that. Right. Like it just seems weird. At least that's the way it was explained to me. I don't know. Yeah. I probably am misinformed and maybe that's why I don't understand it. But it just seems weird. Right. You know, somebody says no to me. Great. No problem. You'll say no. I'll go build my own thing through my computer and exactly. I'll go buy it with that. Like, yeah. Well, do you accept this? No. Why would anyone in the world accept it? Right? Like, but all of a sudden it's taken off. And I'm like, really? Why? I don't understand. I just don't understand it. <laughs> well, nobody's spending their Bitcoins. Uh, and so, you know, and I also, like you, I think it's air. It's air that someone created and people are creating air. Like there are 13,000 different coins out there. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing, right? So I don't understand it. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not yeah. saying it's going away. I'm not saying it's staying. I just, I don't understand. Me neither, but at some point, I'm like, okay, got to try it because just because I don't understand doesn't mean it might not make sense. <laughs> true, that's true. I tend to only invest in stuff I understand, but that's yeah, me. That's There's no wrong. <laughs> yeah, but there's no wrong in the end, and it's what's right or right for you. Mm -hmm. So, all right, that's cool. And you've invested in startups. That that, that I did not expect. <laughs> yeah, as an angel investor, and 
100% a billion times more uh, risky than real estate. Two already folded. <laughs> and so let's hope uh, the other few are going to thrive. True. Well, what do you look for when you, when you, when you decided to say yes, what were you looking for? A great team and a great product market fit, but it's so early when you invest as an angel investor that it's so hard to predict. And I was just going through a very large incubator, the, the most popular one, Y Combinator. So I was just looking at their startups that were graduating. Um, but, you know, all those numbers were, they did not pan out to be the, the numbers that they were giving on pitch on demo day. Ah. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So things aren't always as they appear. Uh, yeah, not always, even though you might be working with the best. <laughs> True. Now, we, as an angel investor, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, you have no real input into the company. Mm-mm. Not at my scale. Mm-mm. Okay. So it's sort of like you're putting your money in there and hoping for the best. Yeah. Sometimes the founders ask for advice. Um, if you know a specific area that they have a need in, um, so you can definitely offer advice. You can become an advisor officially for them. Um, but uh, I think venture capitalists are much more um, in tune with what the, the help that they might need or the connections that they might need. Right, right. That makes sense. Okay, so that's that was interesting. I um, I've invested in businesses before, but I have uh, control issues, so I tend not. <laughs> oh, big time, right? Like I, I have major control wow. issues. So. <laughs> I, I, I tend to only invest in companies I got I, I got an input in. Yeah, no, I right. understand. <laughs> so I, I think I could have made, you know, did I leave money on the table? Many times, right? But also I'm sure I've saved my uh, goose a few times too. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people all the time, we, nobody has ever won it all. It's not possible. You're going to lose some. That's Even true. Warren Buffett has lost and all these top people have lost money. Investors in real estate have lost money, right? Yeah, that's true too. It's not possible to win 100% of the time. Uh, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Like uh, even real estate has its risks, right? Like mm-hmm. look, late 80s, early 90s, there's a lot of people <laughs> that pretty much lost uh, their pension for lack of better communication or better, you know, wording, should I say. Yeah. You know, they have lost their real estate because they sold when the market pretty much went in dropped in half all right and real estate is not you know it's not like you bought a car and you lost your car and it's like oh well 40 grand went out the door i mean no no a lot of times real estate can be as expensive as uh it could be as big as your pension fund yeah right and you lose that and, and let's face it yeah. <laughs> you spend your whole life putting into your pension fund how do you recoup yeah. that yeah. but a key thing is with real estate the, the reason why i call it the safest investment is you don't have to sell mm-hmm Right. I think that was the biggest mistake that people made in the late 80s. They sold. Mm-hmm. Now, people go crazy, like I said, especially with residential. I mean, yeah. obviously, you pointed out this happens in commercial too, but yeah. it's especially in residential. People get emotional, very emotional, 
and oh my god it's got the pool that the kids are gonna swim in and then they're gonna pay ridiculous amounts of money like there is a such thing as overdone you know like too much Mm -hmm. and what ends up happening is people extend themselves to the point that any change in employment risks them sleeping in the car yeah and when you're going that far in Economy, you know, economy goes down. Your job, one, it doesn't take everybody. Husband, you know, gets laid off. Wife continues to work. Great, that might buy you a couple of months. But what if you don't uh, find the job? At some point in time, everything runs down to zero. Now you want to sell, and now you're selling at a loss, just not to ruin everything. So that's why I believe it's like you said. You should have at least a couple of years of expenses just in case something happens. Mm-hmm. right and then and then that, and that's the thing if you're prepared you don't have to sell and if you don't have to sell that's where you can't lose because look i just said late 80s early 90s houses got chopped yeah and meanwhile houses today are four times higher than the lowest price <laughs> that it was back then yeah or the highest sorry i meant the other way yeah so if you had kept it, you've made four to eight times the amount just by holding on. But when you leverage yourself to the point that you're at the brink, you put everything at risk. But that's just my thought, right? So yeah, it's obviously being careful. And again, now, now somebody wants to get into real estate and like they want to buy investments, but they want to you know, they want to do what you did, got full into it, quit the corporate job to get into it. Would you recommend that they jump all in or would you recommend that they hold back a bit, wait for it to start off succeeding, grow your portfolio, get a couple of pieces before you do that? I think depend depending on your age, if I was young and starting off, you know, in my 20s, I would recommend becoming a broker and you will learn so much and you will get access to a lot of properties that might make sense that you can buy before it hits the market. I would start by being a broker first if I have zero knowledge of the market. But, um, you know, if for someone that is, you know, uh, late 30s or later, I'd say get a couple of properties or get one first, make sure you know you understand the entire process, make sure it's actually working and that you can pay for your living expenses with that property before moving, before quitting and moving on to, to full time. That makes sense. Okay. So it's not just jump in and hope. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I, I spoke up, uh, with um, a person who just does passive investments. It took him seven years to quit. But, you know, these seven years will go by sooner or later, and you will eventually get to that level that you can quit if you start somewhere. You just have to start. True. Now, is it possible, like I'm going to ask you the opposite now, is it possible to keep your corporate job and still have a portfolio of 10 properties, we'll say? if you have the right team in place. So how would you do that? How would you find the team? Like I'm, I'm guessing you're going to need a a property manager to uh, take care of this. Yeah. 
you have a property manager, you have your accountants, you have all of it in place and you can, um, you can find people online on through Upwork if you're on a budget and pay them a little bit less. Uh, but you know, you can, you can definitely have a team working for you and with your job, you can afford to pay them <laughs> to do their job. And so, uh, I, I think that's a great way to go about it as well. True. Now, let me ask you one more thing. What's the worst possible investment you can make in 2021 when it comes to real estate? The worst possible investment? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I guess buying a shopping center? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say a timeshare, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I don't believe do in timeshares. Rental and timeshares, you might make some money. Yeah, but you can't get rid of them. But that's just my opinion. There's nothing wrong with it. like to each their own again. But sometimes, yeah, I, I find some are more lucrative than other investments. Okay, I have. So those, I know nothing about timeshares. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm well. I know. I know enough to know that once you're in, you're kind of stuck with it. It's very hard. Really? But again, I, I don't personally like them. It doesn't really mean that they're bad or good or, yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about them. I just, what I do know, I wasn't impressed, hmm. but, but my point I'm getting at is I, I just had to make a, a remark about something. I had to pick something. I asked a question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I yeah. You're like, correct about yeah. sure It's probably worse. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing is that I don't personally like, I don't like, like myself, I think how I would answer that when you take timeshare out of there, I would answer that. I don't like single doors. I think those are the riskiest. Mm. I shouldn't say like, I should say, what do you think is the riskiest mm. investment? That's what should have been the question. And riskiest investment is when you invest in one door. And because if that tenant stops paying you, you have zero income. When you have multiple yeah. doors, if, like even if you get a triplex, as an example, mm-hmm. one person stops paying you. The other two still covers the bills. You might lose yeah. your income, but you, at least the bills are being paid. You're saving your credit in a sense. Yeah. You the odds of all three stop credit. paying you are very slim. Yeah. Right. So I, I where I'm going with this, I don't like or believe in putting all your eggs in one basket if you can avoid it. Yeah. You now, correct. Now, to be clear, if your choices are wait nine months to be able to afford something, or get in the market today, but it's going to be a single door, get in the market today because you will never save at the same rate of inflation when it comes to real estate. In nine months, that 40 grand that you thought you needed will become 70 grand because of the appreciation. So you'll never catch up. You can't out-earn the market. That's been my opinion and my experiences from what I've seen. So if you have the ability to buy something today, buy. It doesn't matter what. But if you had the opportunity to get a multi-door versus a one-door, think the multi-door is the better option agree there mm-hmm. so now i want to be respectful of your time do you have any final piece of advice or suggestions or to the listeners that may help them be you know get into the market like get into the market or what to look out for what you know like i know they got to find a mentor how do they find a mentor you know i mean it's sort of like i open up my computer i'm ready to start what do i do 
I would I would I would first join a local meeting if they are having them where you live right now, face to face. If not, do a Zoom, uh, join a Zoom meeting that is focused in real estate uh, with people in the area that you're interested in investing in. Get to know people because they will help you so much. And if they can't, they will tell you who can help you with a particular thing that you're dealing with. So start growing your network and obviously doing the educational thing on the side as well. Right. Now, what can, what type of questions should they be asking when you, like you, you meet, a, like if you meet somebody and you're interested in having them as your mentor, what type of questions should you ask? You know, I hear this all the time about, you know, people having mentors in their careers. How do I find a mentor? They People say all the time, don't ask them to be your mentor right away. You need to build a relationship first. Understand what they have invested in before. How are they doing? What kind of person that person has taken them out for coffee a few times or brunch or whatever. Get to know the person and, you know, make sure that it is the right fit for you. And over time, you'll just text them a couple of questions here and there, right? And then eventually, you know, you can ask more questions. Um, and depending on the relationship, you can obviously offer to pay them for their time. If it, if it becomes a, an hourly thing that, you know, they're really helping you dig into some numbers. I, I believe in being, the you know, polite first and obviously offering uh, to pay for their time. And, uh, but there are a bunch of people that will help for free out there. They're amazing people. And very true. Very true. Now, you know what? That's it. Mic drop. <laughs> that was the ultimate answer. And where I was hoping you'd go with it. That was perfect. <laughs> like I a hundred percent agree with everything you just said about that. Right. Like, is you know, like the term pick your brain. Nobody wants their brains picked. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, that's the best way. Right. And it goes back to what we've been saying the whole time. It's about relationships. Right. And people want to network and work with people they know, like, and trust. And you build that through relationships. So you were hit the hammer on the nail there. Where do people find you online? Uh, they can reach out to me uh, through my website, montecarlorei.com. And if anyone is interested in learning about commercial, I do have a, a podcast uh, weekly on um, commercial real estate investing from H to Z. Fantastic. I want to thank you so much for being on the episode today. John, you are an incredible host. I'm so happy I came here. I don't know how you got me talking for a full hour. I'm not a big talker, but uh, <laughs> you have great questions. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. My pleasure.